coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Because ultimately you do all this training, all this preparation, all these meetings, all this visualisation, anything that you do, all that matters is that 80 minutes on the pitch. Thanks a million for tuning in today. We have a great guest coming up for you, Billy Holland. Billy delivers some excellent insights and some fascinating stories, so stay tuned to hear more from Billy. But just before we get there, we have to say a big thank you to an overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora. It's a whole person performance well-being growth partner that aims to improve individual and organizational health and well-being by focusing on four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. If you want to find out more, go to www.haworalife.com. That's H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Billy Holland, recently retired professional rugby player and captain with Munster Rugby and Ireland. Billy played his entire professional rugby career with Munster Rugby, accounting for 247 appearances, having played for 14 seasons. One of their most capped players of all time, Billy was selected into Pro 14 Dream Teams and captained Munster many times as a forward. This was Billy's first ever podcast, and we really enjoyed hearing his stories and incisive insights. We speak about what Billy has been doing and has planned for after rugby, Connor Murray as Lions captain, and always wanting to be the fittest forward in the Munster team. We ask why pro athletes from other sports play golf, scheduling training, leadership styles, and game management as a captain. Billy opens up on the strengths of his previous coaches, big moments and highlights, and what makes the Munster culture special. Billy Holland, thanks so many for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. I'm uh, I'm delighted to to be here. I haven't uh, I've never done a podcast before, so it's first time for everything. Sure, you're well able for it, Billy. How's life been now? You've uh, hung up the boots there recently enough. Are you enjoying yourself and playing a bit of golf? <laughs> I would say no, but my wife would say yes. Um, I've uh, I've got one or two rounds in, maybe three, but uh, no, it's been great. Look, I'm only finished. I finished. I'm finished a wet week at this stage, so uh, you know, and all, all the lads are on holidays. So I suppose it hasn't fully sank in yet. But I'm busy. Um, you know, bringing the little fella to crash in the mornings. I never would have been able to do that. So again, my wife is delighted with that. And then on, on nice sunny days, I was out golfing in Forte yesterday. So and I met your father last week in the old head of Kinsale. So I'll, I'll uh, I've gotten a little bit of golf in the last few weeks. I'm 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 trying to uh, make the most of the bit of spare time. Yeah, the first thing he said was, they were hitting off the tees behind us. I said, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of dropping off the tees as well. I can't say the golf. I'm a casual golfer. I, I enjoy playing golf, but I've never, I'm not a member of a club anywhere. I haven't, um, I've never, I try not to get too frustrated when I have a very bad round because I don't put in enough time and effort, but it's something that I intend uh intend putting time and effort and frustration into over the next <laughs> over the next couple of years who was your best golfer teammate that you ever had oh there'd be a few people who claim claim to be that now paddy butler was a very low handicapper and robin copeland was good the funny thing with rugby players who golf is that they're really good golfers then they like end up having a shoulder operation and 
they turn into very bad golfers. Or in the case of Peter Romani, you're a very bad golfer and you have a double shoulder operation and you turn into a good golfer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, Paddy, Paddy was a very low handic- handicapper, single figures. Um, Chris Farrell is a handy golfer, so he says, but I played with him once and he was hopeless. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's you, you just really don't have the time in season, you know, because it is, you walk 18 holes of a golf course and you're, I'd be wrecked for a day after it. So uh, it's a different type of fitness. I know people will say to you, oh, you're, you're a professional rugby player, you're a professional athlete, you should be well able to walk around the golf course, but um, not really, particularly when you're on all the wrong fairways all the time or in the bushes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we did play, you'd get the carts, the, the drive-on buggies, which is a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit rich where you kind of need, so if you're going training the following day, you can't be turning up... Uh, tired and sore because of a game of golf what is it about golf that seems to attract professional athletes that are still playing and then you know winding up because you see basketball players you see baseball players we see all blacks we see munster players we see ga players what is it about golf it's a good question um certainly some of it is a competitive streak you're playing one-on-one against teammates which you don't really get to do in rugby it's a it's a team sport so that's maybe something that uh, appeals to some people I suppose it's it's a it's a casual relaxing game if you I know I just said it's tiring in terms of walking but if you do right and you're on the buggies it isn't very um it doesn't take a huge amount of energy and it's a great distraction you know particularly for maybe coming up to a game look we don't get to play it in our Irish winters but you know when the, when when the summers are coming along and you know, you go out, you're out there for four hours and it's a, it's a great distraction. It's sociable. You get to chat. It's not, whereas like you can't go off and play five-a-side soccer or you can't go off and, you know, play a game of hurling or something or, you know, that you'll be, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not good for your professional sport. So maybe it's just a sport that, um, you know, you can play as a hobby and not let it detract, detract from what you're paid to do. And then you'd said exactly something similar before that you had your schedule put out for you for the last, what, 247 games before that as a, as a younger player. You always had a schedule given you on a Thursday. How are you finding putting new things to it now? My wife sends me one now on a Thursday or Friday instead of the following <laughs> week. It's the job. <laughs> no, that, that was the threat, but thankfully it hasn't materialized yet. Um, like, it's... Yeah, seventeen years of being given a schedule every Thursday or Friday for the following week is is it sounds a bit mad, um. But you know, I I just met Niall Scannell down in um in a gym there, and you know they're also on a break at the moment. The difference is he had just been running, and I don't have to run. So, uh, <laughs> so like, I, I I'll when you have a toddler and you're uh, in the summer months, you can kind of keep yourself busy pretty easily. So I intend to make this like an extended summer break um and you know you know yourselves there's always jobs to do around the house so it's there was one day all right um I think it was a Tuesday after we finished and I found myself at home with no plan and feeling really kind of antsy and I just like I was just walking around the island I didn't know what to do um with myself but that hasn't happened since um so you know there's definitely going to be an adjustment period where uh I'll find myself um, thinking, what am I going to do today? And when the lads go back training, and I suppose more particularly when when matches start back up in October, November, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to feel um, 
I'm going to feel like I'm really missing out and I'm, you know, that I'm missing it at that point in time. And, you know, it moves on so quickly, you know, they'll be back two days and you're, you're, you're done. You're forgotten about, um, you know, I think back over the years, oh, so many good characters and, you know, guys who've been around for so long and they're gone. You're thinking, oh, what's monster going to be like without them? And then, you know, a day or two later and it's, it's just, it's just life moves on, you know, it's like everything life moves on. So, um, it's up to me and up to guys who retire to, find something else that's going that they're going to be passionate about and that's going to interest them and and training professionally for so long in order to be able to perform when you need to and and then you're just saying you see you see a forward down there who has to run and you're not having to run do you you think there'll be an element maybe in october when you'll feel i still want to keep in shape because we spoke to finian witcherly a while ago and he would have said that you were someone who really you know put the work into training and really look after yourself. And that's probably what's helped with your longevity. So how much do you think that's going to play into the post rugby that you'll still want to stay in shape? Yeah, certainly when I, when I was playing, I felt you had to be, you had to have something that was unique to your game. You had to have a couple of strings to your bow that no one else could, um, could contest to make yourself, you know, to make yourself a valuable commodity to the team. And I would have prided myself on being one of the fittest um, forwards and you know I take pride in having one you know come on top of the charts of the fitness test almost every year and it was a massive massive thing in my head that I wanted to be that I wanted to be the fittest forward in Munster Rugby and that just gave me a mental edge that well, I'm far from the biggest and not the strongest so what is your niche going to be what are you going to be and I was always the fittest so now I don't need to be the fittest anymore so it's it's a good question but I I know that my physical health is is directly correlated to my mental health and I've already started training. I've I've done I thought I'd never go to the gym again. I've been to the gym twice in the last three weeks. Um which is I wouldn't have done this if I was on my summer holidays. So it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a contradiction in what I thought I'd do, but I know I want to keep in shape. I, I feel good when I when I'm in shape. I, I don't want to feel um you know, lethargic and and that what I'm going to do, I don't know. Um, I, I, I really don't know, but and I'm not going to be running laps of a pitch. I'm not going to be running shuttles and I'm certainly not going to be doing down ups on a pitch. I'll, uh, I'll be doing things that I, that are hard, but that I enjoy. I, I, I'd be a believer in short, sharp, hard sessions where you get a good, um, you get a good workout and, and you kind of get the lasting benefits for the day. So, uh, you know, I'm, I haven't figured out quite what I'm going to do, um, but I'm certainly going to keep on top of it. I, I, I need to. It's like Ronan O'Mahony, when he stopped, he went into CrossFit and he went all in. And because he said that was the sort of animal he had to, he had to keep channeling the kind of competitive edge he was saying at the time. Yeah, I intend to possibly do that with golf, maybe. Um, not, not CrossFit. Um, <laughs> I want to stay fit and healthy and feel good but i'm you know I, I don't think i'm saying this here now in uh at the end of june that i'm not going to get into you know crossfit or get obsessed with any of these activities like i saw brian scott there recently who retired 12 months ago not longer and he's like he was 120 something kilo prop he's 100 kilos and he's absolutely shredded um running miles and all that sort of stuff so you know, guys, guys do that, but um, 
you know, Ronald Manny is a baby now. I don't think he's probably doing the exact same as what he was doing when he retired and he didn't have a, have a kid. You know, family life takes over, um, and you know you've uh, you're you're required elsewhere. So I don't think I'm going to be getting that uh, into some form of activity. I want to enjoy it. I want to feel good, work hard, and enjoy it when I when I do it. And then when you were playing, you're after touching on physical and mental. We spoke to Rich Divney last week, and he was talking about attributes, how we have certain things like adaptability, like resilience, that we have dimmer switches for, that some are better than others, some are more stronger in areas. What do you think were your mental attributes that really brought you to the fore and made you play 247 games and get an international cap and be, be around for so long and perform so well for so long? It's a good question. I, uh, stubbornness is certainly one of one of my stronger attributes. I was always very determined to, as I said, you know, win the fitness test, or you know, um, you know, have a really good training session, or you know, uh, over the years there was different second rows who came into Munster who I had no doubt at the time, or maybe I just shaped it in my head at the time that these guys were here to, to to take over from me because. You know, I'm just a six foot four second row, um, and I, in my head, it was like over my dead body, and I just try and take it up another gear, another level, and certainly huge amounts of resilience. I think you need that to be a professional sports person, particularly if you're going to have a long career, which I was lucky to have. There's so many up, so many downs. You know, there's more downs than ups, and you certainly, unfortunately, remember the downs more than the ups, and you need to be mentally strong enough to get back up when you are knocked or when you suffer you know i was lucky in terms of injuries but if you have injuries or you're you're not selected or your form is off or you're that's that's a huge um attribute that you i think it's a prerequisite really if you're going to have any sort of long career and you know i was in a leadership role in munster from a very early age and it's probably something that you know, I'd done when I was in school and I was underage and it kind of grew on me and it, the, the role evolved, uh, you know, I evolved with it and it was something that I took great pride in and being a, in a leader in the group and how the leadership within Munster has evolved over the years as well and it has progressed, you know, as, as the generations have changed and younger guys have, are coming in and so I suppose they'd be kind of the three ones I would have feel strongly about, you know, um, resilience stubbornness and you know just my my leadership qualities that i that i worked hard on and i took great pride in and to chunk up the latter captaincy such a huge part of rugby obviously british and irish lions just uh their captain went down injured and another one a monster man's just taken on that mantle but for you the ability to kind of lead from the front make decisions under duress uh, lift others like what made you such a such a good leader firstly i'm absolutely delighted that conor murray has just um been named tour captain of the lions it's such a an honor and a privilege and uh, for, for him and i think for everyone who's i i feel i feel so proud to have played with Murray and um to know that he's you know captain of the lions and pete did it four years ago and paulie was doing did it four years before that so it's um i think it's 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 massive you know mar wouldn't be He's never captain Munster, so to have a guy of that class and quality, you know, he's going to be coming back into preseason or coming back to Munster in a couple of months now with a, another massive string to his bow. But I suppose 
I remember a few times early on when I was captain of Munster, I, I tried to do a few things differently. I tried to be somebody that I wasn't and I tried to be what what should a captain be and it didn't work. I didn't play well and I got distracted. You know, the best thing you can do is just take huge pride in what you're doing and you play as well as you can and you you know, you lay it out there and you perform as well as you can. Yes, you have to think about what you're going to say, how are you going to motivate guys. But at professional level, all these individuals are all highly motivated anyway. You're just trying to put a little bit of icing on the cake and, you know, stick it all together. What's probably most important is if you're in a game and things aren't going well or you're having issues with the referee, how you deal with that is something that I feel is probably more important as a captain. I think motivation, we're at such a high level, it shouldn't be, that's not a captain's job anymore, um, in my opinion. But then in months, you know, we you worked hard on the decision-making pros on the pitch. You know, it's not just the captain's decision. You know, you've got the game drivers, you know, you're out half or the line caller, you know, what are we going to do here? What's the score? And you also train it on, on the training pitch. The coaches put you in positions within a training session. You know, you could be six points down uh, with with five minutes to go and you have a penalty here. What do you do? And, you know, it's, so it's not just on a whim or, you know, thinking about it at home. There's a lot of practice that goes into these things. And then there's just experience. And the longer you're around, the more times you've been in certain situations and, and you learn from them, you learn from mistakes and, uh, and you try and pass that on to other guys and uh, to make the right decision on the pitch. Then exactly that, what you're saying about situations, Munster would be well-renowned. This is coming from a Leinster man to always be in the game, even if there's a score left or there's a minute left and you seem like it's over. Munster will not give in. They'll still be there. Is there one particular memory you have of when you maybe were on the pitch and you looked at the scoreboard, looked at the time and thought, Phew, just not that you'd even say it to yourself, but you thought this would be difficult and then somehow you just pulled it out of the bag? Um, one that comes to me the memory that's only just because it was in the last in the last season is that we were we were playing Treviso away and we were excellent for the first 15 minutes of the game we were 14 nil up and we were nothing short of appalling for the next I'd say 68 minutes of the game and we were losing and we were losing by I think six points and they had a scrum with 79 minutes 30 seconds on the clock just outside our 22 and you're kind of thinking well that's it that's game over you're not getting the ball back here but we we managed to get a penalty and JJ kind of asked you know do I do I go for distance here do I risk it you know that's that's the that's the thing is a 10 going to be berated but you needed to get way down the pitch and you said we go for it and big kick what do we do from a line-up line point of view? Um, so those sort of decisions, and we managed to pull out of the bag and get a try, and JJ got the, the conversion, and we won. Absolutely stole the game. Um, one decision that I know that we, we really messed up um, was over in Saracens away, probably about three, two or three years ago. It was a, uh, it was a pool game, and we had been leading for... That. It was actually the game where... Uh, there was a fight with our doctor on the pitch. I don't know if that might uh, jog the memory a bit more. Um, we were leading for the majority of the game and we kind of went behind and we went behind again. And kind of, this was all in the 70th minute. We were just really on our knees. We had a penalty 
we were eight points down and we had a penalty on the 22, 15 metres in from the touchline and we went for the corner. Whereas in hindsight, if we had actually taken the three points and gotten a losing bonus point, we we would have qualified from our group. And that didn't become apparent until maybe two or three weeks down the line. And that was an example of a decision whereby we, as a decision-making group, didn't have the bigger picture in mind. We just wanted to win the game. But the fact of the matter was we, were, we there was only three or four minutes left. And if we had taken the penalty, you know, we still would have had a chance to go back up the pitch and score a try. So that's an example of a, a wrong decision that the guys in the pitch that day learned from. And, um, you know, it's that's that, that's that's a tough one when a couple of weeks later you realise that was a bad decision from a group of people and we could have been out, out of our group into quarterfinals, but we're not as a result. We've just touched on motivation a couple of minutes ago there, Billy, and I'd love to nearly ask the question for the young players out there, for the players who are trying to break in into their club or, or team, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. I mean, professional players are having to look and maybe not always read it, but reviews and ratings in the newspaper and that player played well or that player didn't. But in terms of building character and confidence for those young players, what sort of advice or suggestions would you give to them about understanding the motivational piece and how much should be the external and the internal? I don't envy um, young guys starting off now because, you know, after a game you get reviewed by all different sorts of media. You also get reviewed by anybody who's got a smartphone or a Twitter account. Um, and then the most important bit is you come in on a Monday morning. Oh, sorry, in between you can get more, you can get reviewed by your family and friends you know, I was after one game, JJ again, you know, his mother texted him and said, why did you miss that kick? Oh, God. <laughs> Didn't need to hear that. That's, that's the last thing in the world you want to be uh, dealing with after a game. Um, <laughs> so, and then you come in on Monday morning and you have your review from the coaches and your peers. And that's the one that mo- that that's most important because the coaches are always looking at it from an angle about how to improve. And it's, you've got to be able to take constructive criticism from your coaches. Um, so in terms of motivation, you know, you have to have an internal motivation to personally want to do something. What is your, what is your goal? Is your goal to play for Munster? If your goal is to play rugby for Munster, how are you going to go about that? Well, okay, I'm, in school, a school that doesn't play rugby, so I'm going to join, I'm going to be part of this club. Then you're trying to get on the Munster Youths or, or the equivalent. Then you're trying to, you're, you're, you're just working on being seen. And it's it's difficult and you need a huge element of luck. And I played with guys who I've, when I was younger, who were excellent players and they just didn't get spotted or they weren't seen. So that happens too. But, you know, then you might get into an academy or you might get into an under-20s game or whatever. And it's just then about performing. It's about are you as fit as you can be? Are you as are your skills up to scratch? Have you been doing this? Have you been doing that? Are your mental skills on task? And it's not that you should just be obsessing over this because I don't believe that's the right way of going about it because you're just going to freeze. You're not going to have the ability to perform when it matters then. But that's... The first bit is having the internal motivation 
what is your goal and then of course when you get into Munster that's just not good enough you want to play for Munster you want to get your game with Munster so your goal changes your 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 targets change and from an external point of view it's so different for everyone some people it's like they want likes on Instagram or you know they want someone they want media attention and for other people it's money they want to be a professional rugby player because they can you know get paid and possibly drive a free car those things you know they're all well and good but they're not gonna they're not gonna get you there um they're byproducts of being successful um so but like i think having been motivated to make your family proud or you know to improve on something that the coach has told you and i think that's something i look for and i've been asked about someone like thomas O'Hearn a lot recently and i think he's a very coachable player he's a guy that he is told something by the coaches or by a senior player and you see him improving on it and getting better at it so as a motivation as a young guy are you are you doing a young guy or girl are, are you doing something that's you know that the coaches going to be impressed with maybe that's the motivation to impress your coach because if you're doing that you're going in the right direction so no that's exactly it actually echoes what Damien Varley I think it was nearly two years ago now we spoke to him he had said about the external criticisms as well about young players having social media to deal with now and how he was saying the business world it's harder for him because he can't call out people for their shortcomings as much as he could inside the walls of that monster dressing room where everybody had this accountability yeah it's I, i'm not too sure how i'm gonna survive in the outside world when i you're used to just saying what you think and you know sometimes it might be a bit overly critical but it's something that we worked on a lot in the last 18 months in monster is kind of your tone of how you get a point across the days of shouting and roaring at a guy they're they're even gone from rugby. So even when Varl's played, that's how it worked. It doesn't young guys coming through now, like the likes of your Craig Casey or Gavin Coombs, you know, you start shouting at Gavin Coombs in the pitch and he's just gonna look at you funny and just walk in the opposite direction. It doesn't younger people don't they don't respond well to that. There's ways and I'm a big believer if you're a leader, you have to know the person you're talking to, the person that you're trying to get something across to her, the type of guy who needs an arm around the shoulder, the type of fellow who needs a quiet word or a kick up the arse. And and every, everyone's different, but um, it's one thing I would say that I believe in a monster is that the only time it's okay to absolutely berate somebody in front of all your teammates is if it's a lack of effort. That's just a non-negotiable, you know, if someone's been lazy or ill-disciplined, or lack of effort they're just they're they're non-negotiables you, you just can't do that but that's as i said earlier something we've worked on your tone of voice and how you say something and what you're saying to somebody um so they don't feel that you're coming down on them with a ton of bricks because you want a response out of them and if you're a good leader you're going to get them you're going to get them better and they're going to respond to what you're asking out of them uh, so there's a way of doing it too then in terms of coaches you've worked with was there anyone in particular who was maybe excelled at doing that for you? Yeah, I've 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 had six different head coaches in Munster, which uh, which is quite a few, and they've they've all been so different, and they've all had 
you know, real strengths and, you know, some of it had weaknesses as well. But I would say the current coaching group is is probably the most uh, oh, well-rounded group that I've I've been with. They're, I really believe they're exceptional. I believe they are going to bring this squad that, unfortunately, I'm not going to be part of on to win silverware um, in the next year or two. I've absolutely no doubt about it. They're, they're incredible coaches, but... Um, Jacques Ninarber, who's the current South African head coach, um, he came in and you know, himself and Razzie were like chalk and cheese, good cop, bad cop. And Jacques was the good cop, by the way, obviously. Um, gentleman, really well-educated, good, really good coach. But I remember we played Zebra in a pre-season friendly down in Waterford on a wet winter's evening and... I wasn't at the races um, mentally. I didn't have a good game. And I remember Jacques, I sat down with him on Monday morning. I did a one-on-one -on -one review with him. And he just looked at me and said, um, Billy Holland, this this guy I saw on Saturday, I'd heard so much about him. This guy I saw on Saturday isn't the man I'd heard about. I was very disappointed in everything you did. I, I was very disappointed. And I was sitting there kind of thinking, oh, my God, this is... This is this is tough. It's like the biggest ever uh, disappointment that you could. Uh, I I was gutted, and but then that was it. It was it was twenty seconds of telling him how disappointed he was. He'd heard so much about Billy Holland, and so we then had a quick chat about what to do, and away we went. And every other Monday, I'd sit down with him, and he'd be like, he'd give you a hug after a game. He'd say, "That was incredible." My, I'm so proud of you. This is Billy Holland. And it was just such a powerful way of... I let him down in that game that didn't matter against Zebra and Waterford. I let him down in that. And, you know, so my mind was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but for that to work, he was always so honest with me going forward, incredibly positive and complimentary when things went well or... Then if if I did miss a tackle or something or you pulled out of that, you weren't fully committed to that, he'd tell it just straight out. And for me, that worked really well. Whereas if he'd shouted at me on Monday, I would probably think thought, you know, screw you, you're only in here a wet week. Like so it's um you know, I don't like picking on one particular coach because I learned so much over so many of the coaches and but that just from a one and one individual and you talk about motivation earlier. Like you're not going to get a better motiv greater motivation than that. And what did Billy Holland look like when he was ticking? So, like, what did success look like for you in your own aftermatch review? Yeah, it's um, satisfaction after a game can sometimes be a difficult thing to achieve. It, it's kind of sad, but as a professional sports person, you're never like nobody ever has the perfect game. Um, where they go home and think, my word, I was absolutely incredible today. Whoa, that was great. I'm just going to, what am I going to do now, retire? Or just, you know, because it's not going to get better than that. So I was always very satisfied or satisfied when I came home after a game and I felt, well, firstly, we'd won. Because games where I played poorly, but won, there's still an element of satisfaction because you knew you, you know, you contributed hugely to the effort. Um Days that I'd been physical on a rugby pitch were days that where I played well because the amount of work I got through 
rarely varied and the amount of effort I put in or the preparation I did in the week in terms of line out previewing that rarely varied and the outcomes rarely varied but because I wasn't the biggest fella on the pitch the days where I was physically dominant are the days I came home and I just felt that was good I enjoyed that I you know I beat that guy up I we physically dominated and in the tackle or carries or you put in a few good hits they were probably the days I was most satisfied with my game and you know what some days some games you have an element of luck just get your hands on the ball a lot and you you throw a pass you could throw five passes one week and no outcome and you could fight five passes the following week and put fella away twice or you know there's a good outcome at the end of it so some of it is luck you just have to keep doing what you're what you're good at and uh i used to love the the feeling the day after a game i used to call it the happy sore so you'd wake up on a on a sunday morning you would be in bits you'd be you know peeling yourself out of bed but you won you won the day before and you played well and you're you got a day off with your family ahead of you and 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 it's just there's a smile on your face all day and it was just yeah happy sore <laughs> that's a good way to be yeah we've gone to zebra in a waterford in a wet night and we've spoken about treviso and what's been your favorite memory on the pitch do you have one in particular my my favorite memory on the pitch um to mention any time i played in Thorn park in a european knockout game in particular was really special and we've beaten Toulon, Toulouse, Racing, Saracens, all these absolute giants of European rugby in knockout games in Thorne Park but there was a game um, we played Edinburgh and Murrayfield in the quarterfinal of Europe a few years ago and I was I was on the bench and we struggled in the game a bit we didn't play particularly well and I came on with 10 minutes to go and it went well for me. You know, I stole a line out and there was a few a few moments that went well. And then we ended up defending for five minutes into about, say, the 84th minute in that game. And there was just an immense satisfaction of winning that game in a, in a game that we hadn't performed very well in. You know, look, I could easily tell you about, you know, something we won or, you know, but there was just something really, really satisfying in that game, winning away from home in a quarterfinal of Europe, backs against the wall, away from home. It was just a really, really satisfying game. If we're talking about your last game that you played, Billy, this year, and there is a, there is a doppelganger in the stadium watching you play, what do you think he would have seen maybe in those last moments, knowing that you know, Billy Holland's hanging up the boots here now? I was so determined all that week. You know, it was a, that was a... That zebra game against zebra it was it was a it was a tough week because firstly there had been the accident where a few lads had been injured in 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 a, a fire accident on the Saturday night so that was you know there was a lot of concerns and distractions around that and then we found out that we can't get to the final because of COVID the Ospreys mm-hmm. Treviso game is off due to COVID and there was a lot of distractions but I was just so determined just to enjoy the week's training and just to enjoy the match and. If someone was looking down at me, they'd say that, I said to Nick McCarthy, I was coming on and I said, just please pass me the ball every time you see me. It was his last game for Munster as well. I just, just please, please ignore everyone else and give me the ball. <laughs> and I'd never done that before. But uh, I think they just see someone who just enjoyed themselves out there. And then, you know, again, we were defending our own line, I think in the 82nd minute of the game and they were trying to score a try and, 
I was, you know, Pete, we got a penalty and Pete wanted to kick it out and game over. Like, Absolutely not. No chance. We want to score. I want to score a try. I want to go down the far end of the pitch, go 95 metres and score a try. And I argued with him over this. And uh, thankfully, he listened to me. I was like, this is my last effort. I'm never playing rugby again. Please, please. <laughs> and uh, and we did that. And um, so I'd like to think that the person, my doppelganger, was just saw someone who was still enjoying his rugby, still playing well, and still really determined to perform at a at a level where you're you're still hungry for a try, even though you're fifty points up, eighty four minutes into a game, that you're still hungry to to get another one, one more try, one more try, and it's it's um it's pretty relentless, and you you got to be relentless to succeed. And I'd like to think that person saw a bit of that on on that day. I'm sure they did, and with all the people that you've played with over the years and especially people that have come in from different countries and from abroad to play with Munster. And we always hear the family of Munster and it's such a proud tradition and culture that we can all nearly see and taste from the outside that it's an amazing setup and everybody buys into it so much. What is it that is so special about Munster that creates that for anyone who gets involved in it? I, I Firstly, I think it can actually be quite hard for guys who come to Munster for the first time because it's probably a little bit different to other clubs, particularly in the UK and France. And, you know, a lot of guys, particularly lads who live in, who are from Munster, you know, their families are around here as well. So, you know, if you go to a club where it's full of foreigners, they all hang out together. It's a lot easier to, to mix in. Whereas, you know, on a Sunday, I'm going to spend it with my family, not necessarily someone who's just come into Munster. But I think then that the people who come in who are similar characters to us appreciate the connection between the players and the fans and appreciate how much it means for the local guys like myself to to represent your province and play for Munster. And they see it in their in our passion and they see it in our desire. And I think Munster is at its best when it has got a a really good bunch of local guys mixed in with a sprinkling of world-class players like what we have with um Diolande and Snyman now and you get that mix and there's a few guys from other provinces you know one or two guys from Leinster who you know have left for whatever reasons I think that's a that's a potent mix and I think it's when Munster's at their best when we're in that situation so when the guys who come in buy into that they feel it and and it's reciprocated and, and it's a very powerful uh powerful mix as I said. Billy we've talked about what makes success individually as a team we've talked about character leadership resilience all these different attributes last question for us on the show Billy is what does high performance mean to you? High performance to me means being at your best as often as possible so you need to be physically there and you need to be mentally there and you can't be, I remember Brian O'Driscoll years, I remember hearing him say that, you know, he never plays a game at 100% fit. And I, I just couldn't understand, understand that as a young guy. But once you play a few professional games, you understand that there's always something niggling. And that's why the mental side of things becomes so important. So high performance is putting yourself, putting your body, making sure your body's in the best possible shape it can be to perform in rugby for 80 minutes each week and mentally 
then having the strength of strength of character, the resilience, and preparing as well as possible to go out and put out the best version of yourself for 80 minutes because ultimately you do all this training all this preparation all these meetings all this visualization anything that you do all that matters is that 80 minutes on the pitch and that's what you get judged on high performance is about being able to execute that with that mix of physical and and mental um mental skills Billy Holland, we'd like to say thanks very much for your time today. Enjoy your trips to the crash. Enjoy some time off. Enjoy some rounds of pro-am golf or whatever <laughs> is in the future. And really enjoyed it today. Got an awful lot from it. Thank you very much, lads. Uh, appreciate it. And it's actually very much amateur golf. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Billy. Have a nice week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.